Welcome to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl. It is Monday, August 16th. On today's show, being captive to past success and finding the balance between expectation and reality. Before we get there, we have nearly half of the states in the United States of America legalizing sports gambling. We need the other half. So I want to give you one reason why every single state in the United States of America should have legalized sports gambling. Now, we are 12 days away from the open of college football. Everybody take a deep breath. Everybody rejoice. And everybody go and bet Nebraska minus seven against Illinois because that's going to be the first game. And it also represents kind of a, a caught between a rock and a hard place for somebody like me, a Nebraska football fan. My biggest, biggest, biggest flaw is every single year I get excited for every single Nebraska football season. I go in, I bet the opening game. I'm filled with hope and optimism. It has not worked out for 20 years. It usually crumbles in about a quarter or at the most a half, but I'm going to do it again because that's what sports are about. That's what sports gambling is about. We just go back. We go back to the well and hopefully sooner rather than later, it changes. So why should gambling be legal in every state in the USA? It will give you the perfect forum to confront your flaws, learn from them, and then return and make the same mistakes the following season. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. We are 12 days away from Nebraska at Illinois to kick off the college football season. Now, I'm filled with equal parts excitement and dread because on the one hand, it is my football team and I love college football and I love the excitement that opening Saturday brings, that each season brings. On the other hand, uh, the reality and expectations of the Nebraska football program have changed drastically over the course of my life. I want to go back to my very, very, very first memory that pertains to sports, and it's exclusive to Nebraska football and the sport of college football. It's January 1st, 1994, literally my very first memory of college football. I'm seven years old at the time. I'm just wandering around eating cheese puffs, doing who knows what with my life. And I'm starting to get into the sport of football. And that day, Nebraska is playing Florida State for the national title. All-time classic game. Bobby Bowden on one side, Tom Osborne on the other side, two of the iconic coaches in college football. Go down the list of these, or go down the rosters of each of these teams, and it's just a list a mile long of fantastic collegiate players and players who would go on to play in the NFL. Um, and Nebraska's heavy underdogs in that game. They're 17-point dogs. Not a lot of people think they're going to win. Tom Osborne, up until that point, has been coaching Nebraska for over two decades and has not won a national title with that program yet. Florida State, they're bursting onto the scene. Everybody thinks they're going to win that year. Charlie Ward, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. And the game comes down to the wire. And I'm watching at home. And I think this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm starting to grasp a little bit of the sport. I'm definitely grasping the storylines of Nebraska being a program that has hitting against its ceiling over and over and coming close and coming close, but never really breaking through to win a national title over the course of Tom Osborne's coaching tenure. 
And Nebraska lines up for a field goal that would win the game. Byron Bennett, 45 yards. And I'm sitting there going, this is exciting. I can feel the emotion through the screen. Wow, this is cool. What a sport. What a game. What a team. And it's wide left. And Florida State wins 18-16. And I'm bummed out at the time. But I also just can't really comprehend everything that went into that particular game. So for me, it's a springboard to being a big Nebraska fan and a big fan of college football. That emotion, that excitement, that passion, all of those things wrapped up into this fan experience. I'm seven years old and I grasp all those things. Uh, Again, at this time, Nebraska had not won a national title since 1971. uh, The year before Tom Osborne took over as head coach, kick off the Tom Osborne era. So while I'm grasping this excitement and passion and emotion and all of the good positive sides of this sport and being a fan and being a fan of this team in particular, there was also no way for me to comprehend the emotional weight that comes with that experience of being a fan or being a part of this program that for two decades had been really, really, really good, always right near the top of college football. And yet fallen short, fallen short, fallen short over and over and over to the point where it almost seemed unrealistic to think sooner or later they're going to break through and win a national title. So that offseason is kind of the ultimate soul searching style moment for a program or a fan base uh, for anybody who is tied into Nebraska football at the time. It's that offseason journey of looking in the mirror and saying, do we truly have what it takes to win a national championship? On the program side of things, Nebraska looks in the mirror and says, yes, we do. We missed a field goal that would have won the national title last year. A lot of people said we are getting too slow. Uh, These up-and-coming Florida teams built on speed and skill and a lot of NFL talent. Florida State's coming out. Miami's coming out. Florida's just around the corner turning into a college football powerhouse. A lot of people thought teams like that were leaving Nebraska in the dust. This triple option attack, uh, it's just it's too much power and not enough speed. And Nebraska was kind of building a hybrid of those two models, recruiting Florida and Texas and getting that speed into the program while also relying upon this foundation that had led to a lot of winning seasons in the past, that strength, that power, that triple option. So they look in the mirror and say, yes, we have what it takes. Uh, And what I don't understand when I'm seven is on the fan side of things, how much a journey like that can wear. Two plus decades of just bashing your head against the wall over and over and over. Uh, And really interesting in light of my experience as a Nebraska fan over the course of the following two plus decades. So for Nebraska at the time, the answer to that national title question, it's an emphatic yes, because Nebraska goes on to win three national championships in the next four years, 94, 95. They're a Texas loss in the Big 12 title game away from playing for the title in 96 and then again in 97. Uh, truly one of the great stretches that we've ever seen from a collegiate football program. That four-year window when they're beating all sorts of NFL teams and talent and that kind of stuff uh, and doing so with this vision that Nebraska trusted in, even though it hadn't won a national title for 20 years until 1994, and then building upon that. So this is when I form my... um, my thoughts and feelings as a fan. Uh, And it really sets the stage for expectations moving forward. Something, again, it was really hard for me to comprehend in the real time. All I'd ever known was Nebraska is this juggernaut, is a winning program. That's what I expected every single year. And that's what Nebraska as a program expected. 
every single year for a long time until it changed. I want to read a quote from Adam Rittenberg of ESPN about kind of this metamorphosis that Nebraska has undergone post-1997. For decades, Nebraska was college football's ultimate overachiever, winning five national titles and 16 conference titles between 1970 and 1997, despite playing in a sparsely populated Midwestern state. From 1969 to 2001, the Huskers finished every season ranked, and finished outside the top 15 only twice during the historic run. While such success likely was unsustainable given the changes in the sport, Nebraska had the ingredients, money, facilities, winning tradition, loyal fans, to remain a nationally relevant program and consistent league title contender. But after reaching three league title games in two conferences between 2009 and 2012, Nebraska has cratered going 49 and 47 in the past eight seasons with four straight losing campaigns entering the fall, end quote. So this kind of sets up a a thing that I'm really passionate about. It's talking about expectations. It's talking about reality and trying to understand reality and how that should relate to your expectation and how you can use both of these things kind of in in conjunction for improvement. So back in the mid 90s, all I knew was national titles and Nebraska winning and all that kind of stuff. That was the expectation on the fan side. I would go into every season. I would look down the list of their schedule and I would say, win, win. Uh, that's going to be a hard game, but win, win, win. And I would go through 12 games or 13 games and I would always have Nebraska 12 and 0 or 13 and 0. And anytime they lost a game, it was stunning. It was shocking. Uh, they'd drop a game to Kansas State and it was like, what, what is even happening here? This is not something that my mind could comprehend. So in present day, um, No Nebraska loss shocks me whatsoever. It doesn't matter if it's Troy. It doesn't matter if it's Illinois. It doesn't matter if it's Purdue. Go down the list of all of these teams that Nebraska has lost to over the course of the last decade. Uh, And and none of it shocks me. I watch every Nebraska game. Uh, Most of them are not very enjoyable on the fan side because it is Nebraska losing to a lot of these teams. But there's no shock factor because my expectation in present day has really, really, really been adjusted relative to what it was 25 years ago. Now, the transformation that I have undergone on the fan side, that was a long process because the list of seasons that shocked me in the moment, well, that's a long list. Coming out of 1997, uh, it was probably a decade-long process for me going, uh, no, 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 Nebraska has been really good. They're always one season away. Uh, I've seen it in the recent past. This is a team that won three national titles in four years from 1994 to 1997. Um, They're just one season away from being that. And it took over a decade for me to start piecing it together in my mind that this sport is changing and this program is changing. And what was there before, it's probably not going to be there again. It starts in 1997, the year after Tom Osborne retires. Again, Nebraska has won three of the last four national titles. Coming off an Orange Bowl thrashing of Peyton Manning in Tennessee that clinched their last national title. Frank Solich takes over and Nebraska goes 9-4 and four that season. Uh, they hadn't lost four games since 1968 going into the 1998 season. 30 years. Uh, it was more games than Nebraska had lost in the last five years combined. And my mind almost couldn't compute it as a fan. But I also just went, well, this is a one-off. This is a blip. 
And at that time, it kind of was because Nebraska was awesome in 1999, one of the best teams in the nation, only lost to Texas, kept them out of the national title game. 2000, 2001, they're still good. They're still really great. They play for the national title in 2001. And then that was the moment that the decline really, truly, truly begins. If you remember at the end of that season, Nebraska's undefeated going into their regular season finale against Colorado. They lose that game 62 to 36. They go and play Miami in the Rose Bowl for the national title, and Miami just thumps them. It ends up being 37-14. The game was nowhere near that close. So the signs of the foundation being cracked are there. If you're willing to see them at the time, I was definitely not. Because again, the past success was not that distant. And so my thought was always, you're a season away. You're a game away. You're just a minor tweak away from being what you were. 2002, Nebraska starts to crater. They're 7-7. Seven and seven. Um, And the signs are really there if you want to see them. But again, ostrich-style moment for me as a fan, and I'm putting my head into the sand. And I think part of the problem was Nebraska is a program. They followed a similar pattern. They had the ostrich head in the sand type mindset. It wasn't taking a long, hard look in the mirror and looking at reality and saying, what is changing about this sport and what is changing about our program? And how do we rectify to the very best of our abilities those two things, rather than saying, no, we were one of the best teams ever in 1995, and that's only seven years ago. We can be that again. We'll just, let's keep running this back. Um, I think on the fan side and on the program side, Nebraska ran into this problem of expectation versus reality, and really how it tied into the success that was not that distant. So they fire Frank Solich following the 2003 season, and 2004 is... It's kind of the moment that it starts to dawn on me as a fan. Uh, Bill Callahan takes over and Nebraska goes five and six in his first season. And it wasn't the losing season. It wasn't that Nebraska's losing their home opener to Southern Miss that year, uh, which was another shocking loss in the moment. It was Nebraska attempting to change. It was Bill Callahan coming in and installing a West Coast offense and Nebraska breaking down this power football triple option identity that had sustained them for over three decades It was Nebraska signaling, okay, maybe we do need to change, but we're uncertain of how that change should occur. Uh, So Nebraska, they keep Callahan around for almost four years. Uh, It's a total flameout. And he leaves the program in worse shape than it was when he got there. Bo Pelini takes over. And Bo Pelini, to his credit, he wins nine nine or ten games. Every single one of his seven seasons as head coach of Nebraska. Uh, that's the glass half full side glass half empty is he wins or he loses four games every single season of those seven seasons. So it's interesting looking at this in retrospect, because at the time I was equally stimulated because I saw the nine and 10 wins and I saw these incredible defenses coming out and I saw NFL talent like Indomitian Sue and Levante David and Prince Amakamara coming through the program. And I was excited by that because it tapped into that black shirt tradition that really boosted Nebraska in the mid-90s. But the four losses every year, it wasn't just that they were losing four games, um, which in the reality of that time, it wasn't that bad, all things considered, for what Nebraska had turned into as a program. Uh, The problem was those losses were blowouts. And the best teams on the schedule, whenever they played Nebraska, it was a 30-point thumping. It was a 35-point thumping over and over on repeat every single year. And so at the end of his tenure, 
the program itself and Nebraska fans in general had kind of identified, no, this is stale. This is old. Nebraska has a higher ceiling than this. We can't just be getting thumped by Ohio State by 40 points every time we play them. Wisconsin can't just come in and bully us by 40 points every time they play us. Uh, This is not what Nebraska football is. And again, it's interesting looking at the end of this tenure and stepping back and saying, what is the expectation for this program? What is realistic in context of what Nebraska football is at the time and what it is in present day in 2021? Uh, A lot of questions that are not easily defined in black and white terms where every single fan agrees this is what Nebraska should be in 2021. And on the program side, more importantly, the side that is responsible for building out a winning football team, I think that they're going through the similar process where it's really hard for each individual to identify what Nebraska's expectations should be in present day. So by the time that Mike Riley comes through and then Scott Frost comes through, who is now presently the coach, nothing Nebraska does shocks me on the field. You know, they're four and eight in Riley's last season in 2017. They're four and eight in Scott Frost's first season in 2018. Um, And I've really undergone a transformation for my expectations just for watching Nebraska football games in general. In the past, that season opening game, there was so much excitement and optimism. And it was tied into this thought in my mind, which sometimes true, sometimes false. This game, week one, is for the national title because Nebraska is a national title contender and they can't afford a loss in every single game throughout the entire season followed that similar pattern, which creates a really exciting fan-watching experience. And then that drastically changed, and I didn't grasp it for probably until the mid-2000s. And then when I really grasped it, uh, it kind of bummed me out because instead of that just full-bore, full-throttle excitement, it was, I'm excited because football's here and I love watching Nebraska play, but I kind of know what's coming down the chute as soon as the season begins. Uh, all that talk in the offseason about this team is going to be good, this is going to happen, it's out the window when the games start being played. And so now the question that I literally ask myself every single season is what do I expect from this team that's shown for 20 years that it has a ceiling of 10 wins and it has the floor of a terrible Power 5 football team? Uh, Expectation versus reality, right? So I want to read another quote that comes from Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. And within this article that he wrote about Nebraska and their tradition of their football team, he interviewed Damon Benning, who was a former tailback at Nebraska, just right during the heyday of Nebraska's most successful stretch in their entire program's history. One of the most successful stretches in college football history, 1994 to 1997. Damon Benning, he's there. He's on the roster. He's backing up Amon Green. Uh, And he's seeing up close and personal Nebraska as a true football powerhouse. So this quote comes from Damon Benning to Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. More of a geographic anomaly, anomaly than built for the long haul as a blue blood. Nebraska's got a great fan base. They print money. They've got great facilities. They've got to evolve with the times. It's been really hard for me to reconcile that in my head what they once were versus what they're capable of being. There's a real fine line between understanding history and embracing it, but not being held captive. Nebraska is still held captive by the success they've had. They need to be comfortable in their own skin. 
They have to have peace with it, end quote. So those of you who listen or watch this show know that a quote like that is going to speak to me on a lot of levels. First and foremost, Nebraska, obvious. But this trying to contextualize the past and especially success in the past and trying to relate that to what you are in present day, that's a really fascinating subject for me. And specifically when he mentions you can't be captive to that. And so you have to look at your success in the past and say, that's great. That's awesome. We tip our caps to everything that happened in the mid-90s. But how does that relate to present day? Uh, What can Nebraska as a program take from that time? And what is just gone? And what, when you understand both of those things, what is realistic for this program moving forward? So going back to me as the fan, Nebraska's success in the 90s, it's what interested me about the sport and about this team. It's what hooked me for life when it comes to this sport and this team. And now on some level, the success is kind of also acted as captivity because I always have that memory. And I always think of those foundational years of me becoming a fan. And I go, I want that. I want that back. I've felt it. I know that it exists, but I want that back. Um, But as I've gotten older and as I understand college football on a much more nuanced level. And as I understand Nebraska as a program on a much more nuanced level, I also understand, yeah, that's not going to be happening again. This sport is too different. So when Nebraska hires Scott Frost before the 2018 season, uh, again, I'm at the moments where every single Nebraska season, I go temper your expectations. Uh, You just know what you're getting going in. This was the one callback. Uh, that stimulates a a part of my brain and soul that I didn't necessarily want stimulated, but I was willing to engage with. Because no matter what, no matter what I say on some level, I'll always be sitting there going, oh, I just wish even if it's for one season, Nebraska could go back to being that. And Scott Frost is hired. It's kind of a call to this past success. National title winning quarterback for Nebraska in 1997. Incredibly successful coaching tenure with UCF before he comes to Nebraska, including going undefeated his final season there and beating Auburn in a New Year's Six Bowl. And he represented everything that was supposed to, in this theoretical world, bridge the gap between Nebraska's past and present. The hottest coaching candidate literally on the market that year, and he has this tie-in to Nebraska's program. Normally, they're not going to be able to go out and get the hottest candidate because there are other more desirable programs that coaches want to go to. And yet the stars align that offseason and Scott Frost is coming in. And he's the dude who's supposed to bridge the gap. And now we're three seasons in. And Nebraska's had a losing season every year he's been there. And he's on the hot seat. And it seems like there's no end in sight to Nebraska's misery. And so over these last two decades and now into the Scott Frost tenure, um, my expectations have been reduced drastically. You know, I'm not sitting here thinking Nebraska should beat Ohio State this year or beat Wisconsin or Iowa or teams of that ilk. You know, I look at it and I go, can we start with beating Illinois week one? It's a surprisingly big game for a program like Nebraska. I think a lot of people will see that and go, Nebraska, Illinois, aren't those two Big Ten cellar dwellers? And yes, they are. That's why that's important because you have to climb the first step before you can climb the second step. That's why I look at it and say Nebraska needs to be able to beat Illinois and Purdue and Northwestern and teams that 
usually aren't necessarily that good, although Northwestern had a great season last year. But normally, these are the teams that are in the bottom half of the Big Ten. Those are the teams that Nebraska needs to be beating. That's my expectation on the fan side. Then you go from there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this has not been the case. Um, and every offseason, as I'm going through right now, there's nothing that's more depressing than listening to every single person who covers the Nebraska program talk about spring practice and talk about how things are different and how the team looks different and they're stronger and they're faster in ways X, Y, and Z and all these players look better and let's go down the schedule and yes, Nebraska should be a nine-win team and then I watch it fall apart in the first game or the second game or whatever the very first game of the season is that represents, oh, this is going to be the same thing. So on the program side, Nebraska is going through one of the hardest transformations in sports. They're looking in the mirror and they're saying, it's not realistic to expect expect the same success as the past. So what is realistic? Again, a very, very hard answer to find, especially when your past success, the success that is in part holding you captive, is the literal top of the mountain. Five different times from 1970 to 1997 and three different times from 94 to 97. It's really hard to come to grips with what you are in present day versus what you were. Um, And so as a program, Nebraska, again, I think needs to take a step-by-step process. The first step is how do we beat Purdue and Illinois and Northwestern consistently? I know we don't want to consider those teams our peers, but they are in present day. How do we beat those teams? And then once that happens, how do we beat Iowa? How do we sustain the level of success that that program has under Kirk Ferentz? It's not as good as Nebraska was in the mid-90s, but like that's a reasonable baseline for Nebraska to try and establish in present day. And then how do we try and establish ourselves in the same way that Wisconsin has been? Step up from Iowa's program as far as consistency and making New Year's Six Bowl games and throwing scares or beating really good teams. Um, is it realistic to expect to not be pounded by Ohio State by 50 points? I would say yes, but we haven't seen any glimmer of that over the course of the last decade and really since Urban Meyer took over that program and then Ryan Day. Uh, what can a team like Nebraska expect when they're being honest with themselves and they look in the mirror and they truly look at, at their program in present day and they don't concentrate on what they once were? Is it truly realistic for a team that can never recruit classes like Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia or Clemson or Oklahoma or even Penn State or Michigan? Is it realistic for that program to look at itself and say, well, we should be as good as those teams? I don't know. That's a really tough question for a program to ask itself, especially one that has had that much success in the past. Uh, This is my opinion, but at this point, I think Nebraska's past success has been much more of a hindrance than a help on the program building side, because I think everybody is very well aware of what they used to be. And no matter how much you try to suppress that, it's really hard to just throw it out the window and say, we will never be that. Let's do our best to start by beating Purdue and Illinois and Northwestern, and then let's do our very best to beat Iowa and become a program like that. And then let's do our very best to beat Wisconsin. And then that might be our ceiling in present day. I think a lot of people who follow the sport of college football think Nebraska ceiling in 2021 and beyond, it's a program like Wisconsin, which that is not a shame. 
It's just not what Nebraska once was. So the reality in present day, Nebraska is not a good football team. And they haven't been really good since 2001. That moment when you really are able to start to identify the decline. Doesn't manifest itself until the 7-7 seven and seven season the following year. But they get blown up by Colorado. Then they get blown up by Miami. And if you really want to look and see the cracks, you can see them at that time. So part of the key for Nebraska is acknowledging reality. Um, you got to take these steps, one before the other. You first have to learn how to beat Purdue before you can beat Iowa, before you can beat Wisconsin, before you can beat Ohio State. Wherever you cap yourself out within that step-by-step uh, -step process, who knows, but you got to build a foundation before you can get to whatever your peak is in present day. Uh, I always hear Nebraska's fan base and the people who cover them kind of thumbing their nose at some of these lower level Big Ten teams, uh, these Purdue's and Illinois and Northwestern, a lot of seasons. And I don't think that that helps the program grow in any way, shape or form. It's, it's kind of an alternate reality. Because again, these are Nebraska's peers. These are teams that are beating them relatively consistently. And Nebraska's struggling to beat them when they do. And they're all just kind of lumped into the same group. This is part of the process that I'm also fascinated by. The process of growth. And how do you become better than you are in present day? Uh, part of that process is honesty. It's that looking in the mirror and being honest about what I need to grow. It's about looking in the mirror and being honest about what are my weaknesses and faults. It's not uh, the funnest process. On the individual side, like I do it all the times with things that I truly value in my life that I want to get better at. Um, and I'll look at myself and I say, all right, why am I bad at this particular thing? Or why am I weaker at this particular thing than I wish I was? Is that correctable? And if so, Let's start laying out a plan on how I become better. That's what I look at Nebraska as a program and think, why are you not doing this? Uh, being honest about the reality of present day, being honest about your weaknesses and faults as a program and where you currently stand within the collegiate football landscape and then saying, okay, I do want to grow. How do I go about correcting these things? How many of them are correctable? Um, and then that's the process through which you hopefully build a better future as a program. And then on the fan side, for me, my expectations adjust accordingly. And the intro to a season is less, instead of 50% excitement and 50% dread, maybe it's 75-25 or whatever. But the most important part is being honest with what you currently are and not being a victim of your past success. You know, it's that process of how do you learn from your past to better your present? Uh, and how do you acknowledge reality in a way that is realistic with setting goals moving forward? Again, not an easy process, but one that is imperative if you truly care about being better than you are in present day. Those are the questions in front of Nebraska's football team and program. That's how the process of growth begins. Because past success is only captivity if you let it be. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, 
or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com.